Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
the lie and lie the love are hanging on me, push and shove. Possession is the motivation that is hanging up. The goddamn nation looks like we always end up in a rut. And thank you for joining us here on Our Common Ground. It's so good to have you tonight. How are you? It is so much stuff going on here at Our Common Ground where we uplift the truth, which is our truth. Thank you for being with us. And tonight you are invited to participate in a very rare Our Common Ground open mic Saturday night, and we hope that you enjoy it. You need to write it down, 347-838-9852 is our number. That's where you can reach us. And tonight at Our Common Ground, of course, I've got my agenda. My agenda is looking at some very hot topics that uh, happened in the United States of America this week. The 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act's passage was celebrated in Austin, Texas at the Lyndon Baines Johnson Presidential Library. Attorney General Eric Holder and President Obama attended, and they also attended the National Action Network um, Conference in New York City, and we're going to take a look at that. Reverend Al Sharpton has been in the news this week um, regarding his connection and relationship to FBI stings, and we're going to look at that. We're also going to be looking at asking you about what your thoughts are on the evolving new black leadership. We're going to feature uh, some audio from Glenn Ford, who is the editor of the Black Agenda Report, talking about racism in American media, as well as looking at our expectations with our Common Ground voice, Kevin Alexander Gray. That's what's on my agenda, and our mics are open at 347-838-9852 for what is on your mind. Write it down. 347-838-982. This is our common ground where we are tonight in open mic Saturday night lifting up the black truth of events. And we thank you for those of you who are listening and would like to join all of our chatters in our chat room. You can come to blog talk radio dot com backslash OCG. I see that uh, India Declare of I Declare is here and our productionist administrator, Michelle Odom, and oh, sexy man is with us tonight out of the ATL, my favorite saxophonist, and YJ is with us and we have some guests and we welcome you to our common ground. 
And for those, again, who would like to join all of those people who are sitting and relaxing in our chat room, please do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. We're going to get into it. We could not do a program this week without um, talking about the passage 50 years ago of the Civil Rights Act of these United States. And here we go. Congress passes the most sweeping civil rights bill ever to be written into the law and thus reaffirms the conception of equality for all men that began with Lincoln and the Civil War 100 years ago. The Negro won his freedom then. He wins his dignity now. Five hours after the House passes the measure, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is signed at the White House by President Johnson. Before an audience of legislators and civil rights leaders who had labored long and hard for passage of the bill, President Johnson calls for all Americans to back what he calls a turning point in history. We must not approach the observance and enforcement of this law in a vengeful spirit. Its purpose is not to punish. Its purpose is not to divide, but to end divisions divisions which have lasted all too long. Its purpose is national, not regional. This Civil Rights Act is a challenge to all of us to go to work in our communities and our states, in our homes and in our hearts, to eliminate the last vestiges of injustice in our beloved country. So tonight I urge every public official every religious leader, every business and professional man, every working man, every housewife, I urge every American to join in this effort to bring justice and hope to all our people and to bring peace to our land. There's warm applause from members of both parties as the president sets to work. It is work. He uses nearly a hundred pens to affix his signature and date. Souvenirs go to Republican leader Everett Dirksen and Democratic whip Hubert Humphrey. The president seems to have mastered the art of just touching each pen to the paper. Integration leader Martin Luther King receives his pen, a gift he said he would cherish. The Department of Justice will enforce the law if necessary. And G-Man Chief J. Edgar Hoover is present. Another group of pens is reserved for the Kennedy, and the Attorney General is entrusted with a half dozen. Now, in this summer of 1964, the Civil Rights Bill is the law of the land. In the words of the President, it restricts no one's freedom so long as he respects the rights of others. Passing laws was what LBJ knew how to do. No one knew politics, and no one loved legislating more than President Johnson. He was charming when he needed to be, ruthless when required. He could wear you down with logic and argument, 
He could horse trade, and he could flatter. You come with me on this bill, he would reportedly tell a key Republican leader from my home state during the fight for the Civil Rights Bill. And 200 years from now, school children will know only two names, Abraham Lincoln and Everett Dirksen. <laughs> and he knew that senators would believe things like that. <laughs> President Johnson liked power. He liked the feel of it, the wielding of it. But that hunger was harnessed and redeemed by a deeper understanding of the human condition, by a sympathy for the underdog, for the downtrodden, for the outcast. And it was a sympathy rooted in his own experience. As a young boy growing up in the Texas Hill Country, Johnson knew what being poor felt like. Poverty was so common, he would later say, we didn't even know it had a name. The family home didn't have electricity or indoor plumbing. Everybody worked hard, including the children. President Johnson had known the metallic taste of hunger, the feel of a mother's calloused hand rubbed raw from washing and cleaning and holding the household together. His cousin Ava remembered sweltering days spent on her hands and knees in the cotton fields with Linden, uh, Linden whispering beside her, boy, there's got to be a better way to make a living than this. There's got to be a better way. It wasn't until years later when he was teaching at a so-called Mexican school in a tiny town in Texas, that he came to understand how much worse the persistent pain of poverty could be for other races in a Jim Crow South. Oftentimes, his students would show up to class hungry, and when he'd visit their homes, he'd meet fathers who were paid slave wages by the farmers they worked for. Those children were taught, he would later say, that the end of life is in a beet row, a spinach field, or a cotton patch. Deprivation and discrimination, these were not abstractions to Lyndon Baines Johnson. He knew that poverty and injustice are as inseparable as opportunity and justice are joined. So that was in him from an early age. Now, like any of us, he was not a perfect man. His experiences in rural Texas may have stretched his moral imagination, but he was ambitious, very ambitious. A young man in a hurry to plot his own escape from poverty, 
and to chart his own political career. And in the Jim Crow South, that meant not challenging convention. During his first 20 years in Congress, he opposed every civil rights bill that came up for a vote, once calling the push for federal legislation a farce and a shame. He was chosen as a vice presidential nominee in part because of his affinity with and ability to deliver that southern white vote. And at the beginning of the Kennedy administration, he shared with President Kennedy a caution towards racial controversy. But marchers kept marching. Four little girls were killed in a church. Bloody Sunday happened. The winds of change blew. And when the time came, when LBJ stood in the Oval Office, I picture him standing there, taking up the entire door frame, looking out over the South Lawn in a quiet moment and asked himself what the true purpose of his office was for. What was the end point of his ambitions? He would reach back in his own memory and he'd remember his own experience with want. And he knew that he had a unique capacity, the most powerful white politician from the South, to not merely challenge the convention that had crushed the dreams of so many, but to ultimately dismantle for good the structures of legal segregation. He's the only guy who could do it. And he knew there'd be a cost. Famously saying, Democratic Party may have lost the South for a generation. It was a creed Oppressed people do not like to accept responsibility for the role that they play in their continued oppression. It was whispered by slaves and abolitionists as they blazed the trail towards freedom. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Head sick. They will talk big and bad in private study, but when they are in front of that enemy, like I am in the courtroom or in the school or in the jail, then there's a whole different rap that they get, which is why you have to study black people to make sure you're not aligning yourself with somebody who's only participating in the conscious movement because there's some sort of personal benefit in it. And if our will is strong, and if our hearts are right, and if courage remains our constant companion, and my fellow Americans, I am confident we shall overcome. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. It was hailed as the most...
most important legislation in American history, the Bill of the Century. But many of you cannot probably say exactly what the 1964 Civil Rights Act did. Its goal, essentially, no matter what they're saying on this 50th anniversary in all of these celebrations, revising and uplifting Lyndon Baines Johnson and that whole crew, the goal of the Civil Rights Act was to put a stop, a screeching stop, to the eruption going on in the streets of America and to help finish the work of the Civil War 100 years after the war had ended and to make the promise of legal equality for blacks and whites, even though actual equality is very elusive today. We want to hear your thoughts about what you think about where we are 50 years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, it has been a long time, and the erosion is here. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight as we come into our program. We note that Ramarley Graham would have been 21 years old today had he not been gunned down. We also want to note the suicide of the social media activist Karen Washington, founder of the blog spot for black girls. And if you'd like to talk about that, any of these issues. Uh, we, we, we noted a social security uh, story that is just outrageous, and some of you may um, be aware of it. But if you are not, uh, this stuff has got to stop. This is why people hate government. A few weeks ago, with no notice, the U.S. government intercepted Mary Grice's tax refunds from both the IRS and the state of Maryland. She had no idea that Uncle Sam had seized her money until some days later when she got a letter saying that her refund had gone to satisfy an old debt to the government, a very old debt. When Mary Grice was four, back in 1960, her father died leaving her mother with five children to raise. Until the kids turned 18, Sadie Grice got survivor benefits from Social Security to help her feed and clothe her children. Now, Social Security claims it overpaid someone in the Grice family. It's not sure who in 1977. After 37 years of silence, four years after Sadie Grice died, the government is coming after her daughter, who was four at the time, and why the, the feds chose to take Mary's money rather than her surviving siblings, is, is also a mystery. The Treasury Department has intercepted $1.9 billion in tax fund refunds already this year. 
$75 million of that on, de- on debts, delinquent debts for more than 10 years. And nobody is able to really give a plausible definition. The only explanation that the government provides for suddenly going after deca- decades-old debts comes from Social Security spokesman Dorothy Clark, who says, we have an obligation to current and future Social Security beneficiaries to attempt to recoup money that people received when it was not due. So now you know why. Uh, You know why. People hate government. That's an outrageous, absolutely outrageous story. This woman was four years old. So she's filed suit against the Social Security Administration in federal court in Greenbelt, Maryland, alleging that the government violated her right to due process by holding her responsible for $2,996 in debt supposedly incurred under her father's Social Security number. Uh, I checked the Federal Trade Commission's website, and it advises Americans that family members typically are not obligated to pay the debts of a deceased relative from their own assets. But Social Security officials say that if children indirectly received assistance from public dollars paid to a parent, the children's money can be taken no matter how long ago any overpayment occurred. This is outrageous. It is absolutely outrageous. And... On top of all of that, there is no real legal evidence available to this woman which says she is direct she was directly the beneficiary of overpayment. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. That's a story that I wanted to bring to your attention is just absolutely outrageous. The other thing on open uh, mic Saturday night, uh, we had the Black History Games back in January, and all of you were notified that all of the answers were posted on our our common ground talk.ning.com site, but nobody ever called in to give give your scores. So you can do that tonight as well. We also want a to send out a very big happy birthday wish to my mentor and very good friend, Dr. Nathan Hare, and to advise you that my newest book came in today, Pearl Collegia's new book, Things I Should Have Told My Daughter, Lies, Lesson, and Love. And um, I buy all of her books, read all of her books, and I'm sure I'm going to celebrate that one. Um, Deshaun Jackson, we haven't had a chance uh, to talk about him. The other thing that caught my eye this this uh, week was uh, a mostly all-white audience uh, in 
I think it was Tennessee, booed B.B. King. That is just really off the chain. And um, I'm just really glad that I wasn't at that particular performance. I would have been a little bit crazy. You can also call us at 347-838-9852. Recommend some documentaries, some books, uh, uh, what you're watching on TV, new music. Uh, we've got uh, Saxy Man uh, in the uh, chat room tonight. Uh, has he written any new music? I don't know. He can call in and ask, are, are you writing a book? 347-838-9852. We also want to let you know about some things that are going on across the country. Um <clears throat> I am planning to attend, well, I just say plan in a way, you know, kind of like I put it on my calendar, uh, July 10th through the 13th in Washington, D.C. at Howard University Blackburn Center, the 35th National Conference of the Black United Front, Black Empowerment and Self-Determination Conference is going to be there. Next week here at Our Common Ground, we're going to be doing, doing organizing uh, local helping you to figure out how you can organize locally in your communities to challenge this school-to-prison prison pipeline. Uh, something else that caught my eye. Uh, saw a map, um, uh, economic map, map, 31 states. 31 states in this country, daycare is more expensive than college. That's just unbelievable. So we're going to move into our program. I wanted to share with you before we get into talking about uh, Reverend Al Sharpton and the National Action Network Conference and also the controversy around his relationship with the FBI, something that I thought that you would benefit from. Who made it possible for me to stand in that spot. Uh-oh, hit the wrong button. Don't even know what the people who are signing up for that program are going through. Don't even really understand the program. And then in the South, the people who really need the health care are being cut out by because they can't qualify for Medicaid. And they're in these GOP states in the South where the majority of African Americans live, where there's very little organizing going on, and where the NAACP and black legislators negotiate with the GOP for their seats that they have forever. So we do have to talk about a new politic, but we've got to be clear about that new politic. And, it, and, it, and it, it does mean that, that we can't be servants to the Democratic Party. I'm certain that not many people in here are servants to the Republican Party. Although, you know, I worked, I edited two newspapers in which the publishers were both Republicans, and I asked them, why, you know, what's this, how do black people, how do black people become Republicans? And they say, the line is short. The line is short. Everybody getting paid. So we've got to talk about what our movement's about. We've got to talk about what kind of country we want. 
how do we make an economically sustainable country, which means that we do have to talk out and open about socialism. And we do have to talk about defeating capitalism, which is basically based on greed and based on exploitation. It's what these kids' music is totally based on. I'm going to sell some dope. I'm going to hook up with my bitch. I'm going to get busted. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to get out and sing about it some more. We got to stop that. Music that has no content to the future of our people. We got to challenge that. So I, I really appreciate, I appreciate Black Agenda Report. I always have. I write for Black Agenda Report and Progressive and Counterpunch, but Counterpunch and Black Agenda Report are the two places where if it's edited, you'll edit it because they won't. You can say what you want to say. And for the record, I'm glad that Black Agenda Report, you know, I think every now and then I, you know, it's like, you know what, we need to challenge our own people. Obama is going to be Obama. What we have to worry about a young friend of mine in Atlanta was telling me, well, you know, he's got a future ahead of him. Maybe he'll get out, leave office, and he'll be like Jimmy Carter. And he'll, <laughs> said, someone told me, and you know what, that's a thought. Because people will buy into this idea of skin privilege, black skin privilege, light skin privilege, and Barack Obama being something that he is not. Barack Obama, and I, you know, I get, people get mad, it's like, man, you know, he's black. He said he was black. But Barack Obama grew up in Hawaii and went to Indonesia. And I grew up in South Carolina. I don't know what growing up in Indonesia, I mean, of course, I'm sure there are oppressed people in Indonesia, but they weren't in the South in the 60s. And, and Barack Obama is, he's the head of the empire. That, well, well, he's the figurehead of the empire. He's the figurehead of the empire. It's like Malcolm said, he, he's, it's like Malcolm says, he, he's there to appease the masses, to make them feel good for those black people, and there are a lot of them in this country, that, that what they want is white folks' acceptance. That's what they want. And he represents that for them. Cory Booker represents that for him. All these folk that will bend over and they'll go fight and kill a stranger because they want to be accepted by this monster that we live in. That's what we got to fight. But we got to organize our community in the same way that the Tea Party, I have a lot of respect for folk that they believe what they believe. Now, I know they believe that the government's giving niggas everything they want. That's basically it. They mad, you know, we, those lazy black folk. It's like the slave master always thought the slave picking the cotton out in the field was lazy. He was sitting on the porch, but the slave was lazy. We know that the linchpin of modern capitalism is slavery, and we ought to stick, be focused on that, be focused on demanding that this government pay its debt to the descendants of enslaved Africans, that we not give up this idea of, of reparations, if we have to deal with this idea of class, we know, well, if we're going to, if, 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 if whites and our allies are going to accept this idea of reparations and, and housing for everybody and free public education, then maybe we can do some talking on this idea of reparation and the debt. But we can never, you know, it might not, it's like the second coming it, for people that believe. It may never come, but they believe in it. 
We've got to stay focused on what we believe in, on the debt that this nation owes the people that built this country, on the debt that established the foundation of modern capitalism in this world. We've got to demand that this government stop going to war. The missing element in all this discussion about the debt and the debt ceiling was all the money that we spend in the military. The fact that we spend $1.5 million per troop per tour in all these countries that we've been fighting in. We've got to stay focused on our message and, and, and forget about the message of the empire. This is our common ground. Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Stay tuned. And that was my friend and our common ground voice, Kevin Alexander Gray, talking about what we expected and what we got. It's really interesting that I I heard um, someone uh, say in a very grand kind of way a couple of weeks ago that um, we had the highest expectations coming into this administration on the election of uh, President Barack Obama. And here we are uh, with our hats still in our hands. You're listening to Our Common Ground. We're going to take a break. You, we are giving you as much um, to feed on as we can on this Open mic Saturday night. The number is 347-838-9852. And we'll be right back. Still too often feel that we must go to them to ask permission to be us. We still think we have to ask authorization whether or not we can tell our story our way. We still think that we can only build the America that we want by getting permission from them to have access to make it what we want it to be. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'll be listening for you. Agriculture, there are no tax loopholes being closed. They are protecting the wealthy with a half hearted assist from Wall Street Democrats, President. The same people who will not allow bills to be passed to build, rebuild our infrastructure voted $50 billion to rebuild Iraq's infrastructure, $100 billion to rebuild Afghanistan's infrastructure. But not a dime for the United States. These are the traitors. 
of this nation because they are in power. See the same thing. We can be as badass as we want. We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals, our banks destroy the economy, the inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression, and you can go down the line. You can go down the line. The Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio, 10 p.m. Friday. Truth Works Network, the Alpha Show. We began our season this year talking about the school-to-prison pipeline, our need to organize and resist in communities all over this country. The primary caregiver is being taken out of the home. And so a lot of our kids are winding up as wards of the state, and so they're following their parents to prison. And then here's another thing that prisons are doing. A lot of, not all of them, but a lot of black men get raped in prison, and they come back home with HIV, and then they affect their women. And so black females are the highest uh, HIV uh, rate. So there are a lot of things about prisons that are destroying our community, and we don't do anything about it. You know, I'm ready. I'm with you. I'm, I'm on the front line with you. I'm, I'm on the ground <laughs> with you, sister. And, and I'm Join us next Saturday night at Our Common Ground as Dr. Byron E. Price joins us again. And we'll be doing live organizing for your communities, giving you ideas, solutions, and notions about taking our responsibility to challenge the school-to-prison pipelines where we live. I'm Janice Graham with Dr. Byron E. Price next Saturday night here at Our Common Ground. Be a part of the resistance. Make a revolution where you live. I'll be listening for you. April 19th, the School to Prison Challenge in your community. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. Join India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. Fridays and Saturdays, 11 a.m. It's the I Declare Friday and Saturday brunch. If you want your news real and your talk raw and right now, it's Friday and Saturday. India Declare at the I Declare brunch. Real, raw, and right now, India is live. Friday and Saturday morning. 11 a.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. On Blog Talk Radio. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now.
come hell or high water. And to be clear, I am the hell and the high water. Boom, 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 boom. I'm gonna shoot you right down. Right off of your feet.
um, black folk in this country, particularly after the end of the Obama um, tenure, we're going to look back and we're going to see that we lost a whole lot during this period because because of our low um, uh, our low intensity of or lack of intensity of um, black political activism, right? And I, I'm particularly I'm talking particularly regarding this issue with Al Sharpton. Um, although we've known this for a long time about Al Sharpton, timing of it. But the timing of it, we know there's a midterm and the Republicans are, are playing their game. Um, As they might say, sure bring it on, Dr. Issa. <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> it's happening. It's beginning to happen. You're absolutely right. No, it's going to hurt us. No, we're going to look back at this. Mm-hmm. Once we get off, off this, this false high that we're on, right, we're going to look back at this in three to four years, and we're going to see that everything that we work for, our ancestors worked for, during this, during the period of Jim Crow and the Civil Rights Movement and the Black Power era, has essentially been wiped out. Uh-huh, right? uh-huh. And uh-huh. It, it, I blame a lot of this on the black middle class and their, and their illusion of inclusion. I, what I think that's Al good Sharpton has been doing, what Al Sharpton, what this represents. It says a lot, not only about Al Sharpton and his level, level of politics and his effect that he has had on weighing on the mass, uh, on the mainstream black people in this country politically, uh, but it also says a lot about the presidency in which this is um, a Trojan horse in which you cannot talk about. But if you look at our political history, even during the era of Booker T. Washington, when Booker T. Washington was the HNIC, there were those blacks, such as Trotter, just Du Bois, who criticized him, who there were an array of black mainstream political thought that was totally against Booker T. Washington's style of accommodationalist politics. That is okay. our tradition. It is yes. our tradition and this is our political tradition in this country for mainstream political thought to have major oppositions against those who mainstream feel are accommodating to the policies of the white supremacists. Let's, let's put a Let's put some some emphasis and do some clarifying so that people who really have not been paying attention who are listening understand what is what you are what you are saying because you are absolutely on target. This whole idea of timing the notion that we have a country that's celebrating a civil rights act that has been totally dismantled. Through, I mean, I've, I, I found that I, I, one of the reasons I played some of the some of the comments that the president made at the Texas at the Austin, Texas LBJ Library for the Civil Rights Summit 
is that he is plotting those things which have so been so terribly mangled and dismantled during his administration. The other is it is it was interesting that during this on this controversy with and and people need to really connect the dots that at the same time that we have been robbed of our representation in our government that as we go toward the midterms and toward the end of the Obama era, certain things are being dismantled, and Al Sharpton is one of them. Whether we like it or not, his politics are not. Whether we consider him as a leader or not, he has the ear of black America. Well, uh, I, 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 uh, that's not what I'm arguing. What I I'm understand trying to, that's to not what you're arguing. I understand that. But I wanted to I understand he has to hear that, but that, what, what I'm saying is what we're going to witness in this upcoming midterm leading up to the next presidential is a clean sweep um, by the Republicans, and Republicans, and we're going to see a whole lot of black um, political figures being swept up too. And personally, because I remain within the confounds of mainstream black political thought, I do not side with the black middle class. I never have. Maybe that's why the black middle class um, has, has worked with other groups to marginalize me. But and maybe this is what we need. We need a clean sweeping of black political thought in this country, particularly those who we have been put into place. They're selected leaders. They're not black elected leaders. Most of them are selected. And even those who are elected by black mainstream throughout this last six years, I believe that they have been formidably paid off to not talk about real black political issues. And we're all going to suffer for this. Well, we're going to suffer. Is- Maybe the suffering needs to happen. Maybe we need a cleanse. Maybe we well, need a pure cleanse so that we can face reality, especially those of us who are within black mainstream thought, who are still within the confounds of the average black person in this country, who never accepted the illusion of inclusion, who never accepted it. Well, Jahi, one of the things that we can also understand about what has happened, and we need to understand it and see it clearly, is that all of this has created barriers to exchange of information, dialogue, and engagement in our communities. That we're going to have to restructure, and I've been saying this for like four years, we're going to have to restructure our priorities and our agenda within our own community because all the tools are gone. You're right. All the tools are gone. Yeah, but they're gone because we allowed them to to, to yes. go. Yes, we participated. You're right. We the, the the black middle class participated. Said nothing when Clarence Thomas dismantled affirmative action. He only left meat on the bones. Little, very small specks of meat. There was no uproar. 
from the so-called black leadership, including Al Sharpton. There was, we, we, there was, we, 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 I'm sorry. There, there was no, there was no real outcry when Clarence Thomas was nominated as a, uh, as a, as a, as a nominee for the Supreme Court, and there, and and since he has been treasonous and had such, there's such evidence against him of. Um, conflict of interest and nobody has called for his resignation really no one has called for some kind of constitutional amendment to fix this supreme court no one has done that because we do get into as you as you are saying we get into the position where we can be bossed and bought yeah, we're all going to suffer. I really think yes, that... Um, and, you know, I've been calling our gonna... common ground the Chitlin Circuit. You watch as they scamper back because as soon as the administration, as soon as the Republicans take over, there will be a change in the chambers where you people have found seats and you will be asked to leave. And what they're doing, and I'm going to talk about it. I don't want to. I don't want to go into the Al Sharpton uh, issue right now, but there is a dis- dismantling. This is strategic. Oh, it's very, and, very strategic. And yes. also, but what I'm saying though, the black middle class has also been a problem. We're going along and silencing any type of opposition, any type, well, any type of opposition. The black well, the middle class the is going is, along with it. I, I think that fundamentally, I, I, while I agree with you, I think fundamentally what has been wiped out is the black middle class, except for they didn't get the memo yet. Dr. Isa, I am so glad that you gave us a call. I've got some other callers I've got to go to, but you stay with us, and I'd like to hear your voice on this um, Sharpton <clears throat> FBI um, scandal. And, right. and it is not was, new. No, it's not new. No, it's not new. I'm gonna. Are you listening on a smart device, or are you listening? Yeah, on I'm listening computer? on my smart my smart device. Okay, I'll mute you again. Thank you for your okay, call. Great comments. I think that's very insightful to understand what's coming down the pipe, folks. Our number is 347-838-9852-917. You're on the air. Well, hello, Janice. It's uh, Ricardo Jones. Hello, Ricardo Jones. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you, Janice. Thank you for uh, putting this show on tonight because uh, I really believe that uh, – uh, many people in our community, especially the black poor, the black unemployed, the black underemployed, and uh, uh, the black working class. I don't believe. I believe what you just said is true. There is no black middle class anymore. There's a black elite, black bourgeoisie, black upper class, but there is no middle class because the middle class is the mechanism that was used to seduce our people to sell out the black poor and the black working class. So I agree with you there, Janice. Well, you know, Ricardo, the thing is that uh, our people have always lived, responded, 
um, and been desperate for safety, uh, for, you know, we've got a lot of people who they simply have looking for a place to rest, uh, looking for safety and and comfort. And they make choices that are short-term rather than long-term. And those choices have haunted us for many, many years. I mean, when you think, when you think about it, look at our relationship to the Democratic Party. Look at that. When you think about it, you know, and I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I know that one fact doesn't have, uh, doesn't ha- is not interrelated to another fact, but just our history has suited us for betrayal, for short-term bad decisions, and for abandonment. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people who are choosing, uh, uh, as Dr. Um, Isa just said to us, we're, we're seeing people who are choosing illusion rather than dealing with fact. Well, Janice, you know, I mean, when you when you bring up the subject of illusion, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's you know, a lot of people in our community don't even know what illusion even means, you know. I mean, you got people defining that by the name of Tom Joyner and, and, and Steve Harvey and, and many other of the individuals who have just reduced our community and our culture and our heritage down to buffoonery. And they're, they're, they're telling the people who don't even know what illusion and inclusion means that uh, they need just to blankly support the Democratic Party, blankly support an administration that has basically disenfranchised their own people who voted 98% for them to be in office. And, and you know, so, you know, you know, we have to get this down to the nitty-gritty, down to the level of the black poor and the so-called black working class who is not working. Because we know what the unemployment numbers are. We know about the high school dropout rate. We know about the teen pregnancy rate. We know about the suicide rate. You know, I mean, we got young black men <clears throat> that are being lynched on college campuses, being lynched. And we can't even talk about that because they say it's not lynching. It, it, it's basically suicide. Okay, but let's say it was suicide. So where is the investigation to find out why and what is the cure for young black men committing suicide in their freshman year of college? <clears throat> where, where's the concern about that? There's no concern about that whatsoever, no matter what you call it. So, you well, know, you nice. know, we live, Ricardo, you know we live in a country that will spend four weeks Four weeks of concentration on finding a plane that disappeared and and not spend four days on looking at and concentrating on how we educate our children. That's where we are. Well, well yeah, yeah. The thing to do is that black people have got to give up 
the notion that they don't have any responsibility in their own communities. We've got to stop thinking that when we go to that when we go to a meeting and there are a hundred people there and all those people have jobs, that we're talking to black people. We are not. We've got to get back going door to door organizing our people. Otherwise, we're going to be having this conversation next year this time. And it won't be on our common ground. It'll be on something else because... Just in the way that we lost community radio where everybody had an opportunity to listen to and you didn't have to have cable, you didn't have to subscribe at $29 a month to Sirius and XM, everybody would have an idea and have access to information. And right now, black people don't have an access to information. Well, yeah, that's exactly how they brought fascism in during the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and brought in uh, Nazism and and, and, uh, and and all these totalitarian dictatorships came in. It's the same thing going now, you know. But the thing is, where is the responsibility of the Congressional Black Caucus, which have sold out the black poor and black working class? Where is the responsibility of the one uh, black senator that was elected from New Jersey? There's a second one, but he was appointed from South Carolina, so his loyalty isn't to the people that elected him. His loyalty is the governor of that state, right? But so, you're, talking yeah. about a, you're talking about a whole Congress whose loyalty is not to our community. You've got a president of the United States who will tell you that he wasn't that he wasn't elected to be the black president. What are we talking about here, Ricardo? I was going to have a lot of fun. You and Jahi just just zip me up <laughs> on open mic Saturday night. What we're talking about is the fact is that it's uh, uh, not in style, not in fashion, not in vogue to talk about black or racial issues, and, and, and that's being covered up by elected well, officials I, I like Elijah Cummings, who were elected by a majority of his black constituents, but he doesn't talk about issues that relate to black constituents, and neither well, do any of the things you've got, on one hand, you've, got, you've got on one hand the suppression and oppression of black voices and the reality of black issues in our country that's being held hostage by the black church. On the other hand, you've got where do they get their funding from? They get the funding from the federal government because that's how they were bought off. That's how those politicians come in and buy a Cadillac or a Lincoln Continental or a town car for a minister, and then the minister stands up in front of the congregation and says, hey, vote for X, Y, Z, no matter what he doesn't do for the congregation. Isn't that what's going on? You're absolutely right. And the thing to do, here is the solution, Ricardo. We have got to get into the community and talk to the people who have truly been disenfranchised. 
you are not disenfranchised. You well, have yes, disenfranchised. I'm at the poverty level. I haven't gotten unemployment. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a farce. This whole thing on the the unemployment extension and stuff. That's just for the people who are just being dropped off the rolls right now. What happened to the people who've been dropped off the rolls? Why Absolutely. is everything selectively applied to certain people? And people in this country believe it's going to be blanketly across the board. It's not blanketly across the board. It's only certain people are going to get the extension. And the truth, the reality is the extension is just putting off the impending doom that, you know, you're going to be hungry and you're not going to have a place to live and you're not well, going to be I mean, able to. Here's, here's the bus buzz flash. Uh, I read an article on Bloomberg News uh, on yesterday or the day before, this week sometime, that a Securities and Exchange Commission prosecuting attorney, his name is James Kidney, said at his recent retirement party on in March sometime that his prosecutions of Goldman Sachs and other mega banks have been squelched by top people at the agency because they, quote, were more focused on getting high-paying jobs after their government service than on bringing difficult cases. And he suggested at that meeting that SEC officials knew that Wall Street would likely hire them after the SEC at much bigger pay than their government remuneration so long as the SEC wouldn't prosecute those mega bank executives on any criminal charges for helping to cause the mortgage-backed security scams and resulting 2008 economic crash. These are things that we know. That's right, but let, let, since you brought that up, let's talk about the EEOC, which is my expertise. I can't talk now, about why? the EEOC. I, I can't talk about the EEOC because the EEOC is no different from the SEC or the or the FHA or Sally May or Fannie Mae or any of those okay. agencies. Right, right. It, 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 even though it has a black face on it, it's there. The black faces are there, as Dr. Jaihinisa clearly stated, right, is to suppress black people. That's the black so-called middle class is bought into being the overseers of white supremacy to beat down their own people. So they put these blacks in these positions and these federal agencies just to be able to tell black people that uh, you can't get any of the rights that you pay for through citizenship and through paying taxes and stuff, but, and you can't that say that I'm not, giving you right. I'm not giving you these rights because you're black, because I'm black just like then, you, so you can't play the race card on They're taking people's right to vote. They're taking people's right to work. Because they we're, voting, we're voting for black elected officials that don't do nothing for us anyway, so what difference does it make at this point? But, the, but here's, here's another point. Bush's elected officials did nothing for us. Clinton's elected officials did nothing for you know us. What? Not true. That's not true. They were afraid of being called racist and bigots, and because they were afraid of being called racist and bigots, they did do something a lot more than this administration, who can't be called racist and bigots, even though they act as racist and bigots towards the black poor and the black working class. Because the black bourgeoisie, they ain't on the gravy train. They don't care. But but what percentage of the population is the black bourgeoisie? What percentage of the black population has any power do we or you do or I do? 
The black bourgeoisie controls the poor black community and the working class black community. And that's done through people like Steve Harvey, who's just a stooge, Tom Joyner, who's just a stooge, and Alan Sharpton. And Alan Sharpton's been a stooge and a sellout for a long time, and he's been an undercover agent for many individuals. And I got this information from... His attorney, out Maddox, face-to-face, confirming what Glenn Ford put out, which is late. Well, Maybe you know, the thing, is, the thing is that it is systemic and it is systematic. And the, we have to somehow find our, our Conestoga wagons and circle the wagons. Hey, Ricardo, I've got to go because I've got some other stuff I've got to do. But, mm-hmm. you've made, I mean, it's there. It's 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 right in front of us. You're absolutely right that we are allowing some of this to happen to ourselves, and we are not fighting back. But there are black people who feel they don't have any guns, and the ones that feel that they have have guns don't have any armament. The ones that have armament don't have any bullets. So you know, it's good to hear from you, and thank you so much. I'm going to put you on on on. On mute, and so we can get to this um, um, NAN conference, because I do want to talk about that. It's related to both what you and Dr. Isa have had to say. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. We're going to go to some things that were kind of uh, strange uh, that uh, the president had to say at the National Action Network Council um, uh, convention this week, and I'm going to play a couple of audio pieces and want to hear from you at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you're not getting your voice heard, if you want to counter what you've heard, if you want to comment, three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. Who made it possible for me to stand in that spot? who marched and organized and sat in and stood up for jobs and for justice. And I thought of all who achieved that great victory and others, not just with respect to the Civil Rights Act, but the Voting Rights Act and the Fair Housing Act and immigration reform and Medicare and Medicaid and the first battles of a long war on poverty. Over the past five years, in the wake of the worst economic crisis of our lifetimes, we've won some victories, too. Nearly nine million new jobs in America's businesses over the past four years. Seven and a half million Americans signing up to buy health care coverage under the Affordable Care Act. And millions more who've gained coverage through Medicaid and CHIP and young people being able to stay on their parents' plans. The rate of uninsured Americans is down. High school dropout rates are down. Our high school graduation rate is the highest on record. More young- that was uh, our president talking about the advances that we've made. One of the things that's kind of disturbing about that, because those numbers uh, that he's talking about in terms of jobs, they really are not the jobs that... Uh, we can depend on in our own community. 
And just as Ricardo Jones, who's a former investigator at the EEOC, had to say, is that even when black people are getting jobs, they're having to be grateful for the jobs that they get. Now, this is what the president had to say about power. Looks at all the laws that are being passed. We're going to have civic organizations that are making sure that state laws and local laws are doing what they're supposed to do. We will fight back whenever we see unfairly the franchise being challenged. But the truth is that for all these laws that are being put in place, the biggest problem we have is people giving up their own power, voluntarily not participating. The number of people who voluntarily don't vote, who are eligible to vote, dwarfs whatever these laws are put in place uh, might, might do in terms of diminishing the voting rolls. So we can't treat these new barriers as an excuse not to participate. We can't use cynicism as an excuse not to participate. Sometimes I hear people saying, well, we haven't gotten everything we need. You know? We, we, we still have poverty. We still have problems. Of course, these things didn't happen overnight. When I was down in Texas, everybody's celebrating the day that the civil rights law was finally passed. Remember, there were decades in which people sacrificed and worked hard. Change doesn't happen overnight, but it happens as long as we don't purposely give our power away. Every obstacle put in our path should remind us of the power we hold in our hands each time we pull that lever or fill in that oval or touch that screen. We just have to harness that power. We've got to create a national network committed to taking action. We, we can call it the National Action Network. So I want you to go out there and redouble your efforts. Register more voters. Help more folks to get their rights. Get those souls to the polls. If they don't let you do it on Sunday, then do it on Tuesday instead. Now, it, it just seems to me, here's a president who didn't get the memo about what's happening with voter suppression. It just seems to me a president who either chooses to ignore or does not understand the intricacies of what has happened to black um, uh, black empowerment in this country. And then that whole, at the end there, where he was talking about if if you don't want to go to the polls, if you don't can't do soul to the, souls to the polls on Sunday, then do it on Tuesday. That is a form of capitulation that his administration has mirrored for the six years that he's been in office, and I find it a, a bit offensive. I, I find it a bit offensive. And, and I think that this is one of the reasons that people who are really thinking through what has happened over the six years are, 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 are looking at. I, I think that this president has become deaf and has chosen to be blind because of his experiences 
because of his experiences as well as the President of the United States. If you will recall, when Skip Gates was arrested at his home and treated very shabbily in his own home and stood to stand his ground in, in the Republic of Cambridge, Massachusetts, the president spoke out, well, because Skip is his friend and blah, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> and Skip wasn't even at, uh, Skip Gates was not at Harvard when the president was a student there. But in any case, he got just absolutely battered by that experience, and we have not heard anything from him. The number is 347-838-9852. Uh, if, you want, if you have some comments about the president's comments at the National Action Network conference, uh, Eric Holder, the attorney general, U.S. attorney general, uh, was also at the NAN conference, and this is what he had to say. I am pleased to note that the last five years have been defined by significant strides and by lasting reforms, even in the face, even in the face of unprecedented, unwarranted, ugly, and divisive adversity. If you don't believe that, you look at the way, and forget, forget about me, forget about me. You look at the way the Attorney General of the United States was treated yesterday by a House committee. It had nothing to do with me. Forget that. What Attorney General has ever had to deal with that kind of treatment? What President has ever had to deal with that kind of treatment? Well, I, I don't think that the uh, Eric Holder has to point out to us the kind of treatment. I think in our community we question the kind of response. We question the kind of response and, and the way in which they have handled these situations very early on in this administration. This is Open Mic Saturday night, 347-838-9852. And we're going to go ahead and move into uh, this controversy uh, regarding Reverend Al Sharpton's, I know it's something that's been on, on everybody's mind and everybody's talking about it. And although I am not required to be fair, I wanted to present first his response to the smoking gun uh, article. And, and, and smoking gun is not some website to be trusted. But one of the things that we have to listen for and we have to ask, and we are always talking about being critical thinkers, critical thinkers do two things that are absolutely essential to critical analysis. One is that you read information. The other is that you formulate questions coming out of the information, and that's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can respond at 347-838-9852. Finally tonight, the mob, the music industry, and me. I was blessed to know entertainer James Brown. He was like a father to me. 
through him I got involved in the music industry. That was in the 1970s. Came to understand that even though many African-American artists were successful, when it comes to concert promoters, African-Americans was pretty much shut out. Working toward trying to aid the Michael Jackson tour with his family in 1984, we demanded black promoters be involved in promoting their tour. Soon after that, my life was threatened by people who claimed to be mobsters. A guy who called himself Sal actually flew to New York from L.A. and said that if I didn't stop interfering, they would kill me. I contacted the FBI, even though I'd had recent run-ins with them in a separate boxing investigation. My call led to my cooperating with the FBI against those mob guys, or who they say they were, to try to protect myself and others. That's the story, and it's not a new story. I wrote about it in my book, Go and Tell Pharaoh, back in 1996, and it's been reported in the press before. I did the right thing working with authorities. I didn't consider myself, quote, an informant, wasn't told I was that. I was an American citizen with every right to call law enforcement, and that's the lesson I want to emphasize tonight. Forget me, I'll fight my battles. But I want to emphasize, especially in my own community, where the insidious campaign not to cooperate with police has taken hold among too many young people. Many of us are pushing back hard against this no-snitch campaign. We can't have kids feel as though there's something wrong we're helping the police keep communities safe and getting guns out the neighborhood. I've certainly had my differences with police and still will question them. But we must live in a country where people can call law enforcement and not be castigated. That's an important message. And it is one that I will continue to bring no matter what they say to communities across the country from Crown Heights to Chicago. Thanks for watching. I'm Al Sharpton. Now, that was Reverend Sharpton's, and all of you know that this show has had an association for a very long time. Uh, I think that, as Malcolm said, I'll take the truth no matter where it's coming from. That was his explanation as to what this is all about. He also had this to say. Nothing new about this story. Joe Banner was the one that set up the meeting with this guy, Sal. So I've done a lot of things in life, some that if I could do again, I would do differently. But in this situation, I did what was right. I did what I was always raised in the values of a praying mother to do. And I did what I tell kids every day all over this country that they should do and that is deal with getting guns and crime out of their community and cooperate with the law if i was doing business for james brown i had no choice but to meet with guys who would later be alleged or earlier be alleged to be mobsters. wasn't like i was saying hey i heard you was with the so-and-so family let's chill together it wasn't like that the conversations were recorded and I would record them today if somebody threatened me. Rats are usually people that were with other rats. I was not and am not a rat because I wasn't with the rats. I'm a cat. 
I chase rats. And whether it's a rat in racial profiling or police brutality, all mobsters exploiting black artists. Don't get me confused. Now, we all understand that much of this and any public of, uh, public figure has a spin. So I went looking for people because he doesn't – he addresses the issue of snitching, uh, being an informant, but he doesn't address the, uh, around the uh, entertainment industry, but he doesn't address the, I want to say, decade-old issue of whether or not he did other kinds of undercover jobs for the FBI. He doesn't discuss that. He hasn't discussed that this week. The issue of whether or not he was asked by the FBI to uh, the, the the issue of whether he was asked by the FBI to be an informant because it was in exchange for something that they could hold over his head or whether or not he was being asked to spy on black activists um there were many people in New York in the 70s, people that I respect, who had indicated that he was an informant in regard to black activism and organizing in the black community in New York. Um, and, uh, one of the people is um, the attorney Alton Maddox, who I, for some reason I cannot get on this show, uh, and I have asked three or four times. Uh, so I went looking for some people who were doing some sound analysis, the issue about Asada Shakur, the issue about whether or not uh, Reverend Shopton has done any damage to any particular activist, uh, whether or not he was involved in the issue having to do with WLIB in New York and why it was um, the programming and people were were discharged from there. So I went looking for someone who would have an, uh, a, 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 a kind of informed, um, critical analysis of this particular scandal. And this is part four of the scandal, for those of you who do not know. This is part four. And there are people in our community who are saying, despite all of this, that he has been targeted simply because he is a supporter of this president. And there are people in our community who are using this to dismantle his um, relationship in the black community with grassroots people because of their adversarial relationship with the president. So um, Yvette Carnell, who is um, um, our Common Ground voice, and uh, Pascal Robert had a discussion about this issue that I want to share with you. ...manufacturing dissent. In other words, when you have these, you know, who have these histories, who have, you know, a, a file that you can easily pull, and they, they're, you know basically advocating for Trayvon Martin or they're protesting, so on and so forth. It's the government, which is the, the ultimate 
uh, entity that we want to bring our police to to change behavior or the private sector, particularly the government, has these, these records of them participating with the state to be informant and they have dirt on these individuals, it makes the whole process of the quote-unquote black leadership, and this goes back to the piece I wrote, historical failure of black leadership, seems somewhat dubious because these people are, are, they have a history of contact that is not particularly seamless. Well, you, you brought up another point when we talked, and, and this, was, this was a particularly pertinent point to me. Um, the, the document by the smoking gun makes the case that Sharpton has been an informant since the early 80s. Now, keep in mind, this is the this is the time when he was he said he was pushing for all these reforms, you know, from 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 the New York City. Yeah, and 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 when you look at it, this is a guy who said he was pushing for reforms, right? And at the same time, this is the guy who is working for the government. He's working for the federal government on one end, but on the other end, he's out there saying, "Hey, I'm working for the people." You know, I'm working. I'm out there. You know, doing the work for the people. And this brings me back to today when I say, you know, I said from the beginning that the role of Al Sharpton um, was to neutralize criticism of President Obama, um, and 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 that's why he was given that space. That's why he was brought into the White House as sort of the counsel to President Obama. That's why kind of why Obama chose this guy who who no one respected outside of black circles to kind of be like, this is going to be my go-to guy because it was a, it was a marriage made in heaven. But I want to bring bring it back to the, the right now the, the the black electorate, you know, the black community. What does it say about you know manufactured consent? What does it say about our own kind of naivete? that we kind of accepted this guy into the fold and let him be or let him parade around or present himself as, you know, this leader within the black community. Considering early on we knew he had a checkered past. Like this this, this goes back to when he was wearing big chains and, you know, the really big permed out hair. What does it say about where we are in our evolution as a community? Well, what it, what it says, it goes back to that piece that I wrote that we first talked about, the historical failure of black leadership, is that there is no democratic process in the black community to choose these. I didn't vote for Al Sharpton to be the mm-hmm. leader of the black community. I'm sure you didn't vote for mm-hmm. Al Sharpton to be the leader of the black community. And what becomes really questionable about many of these leaders is that the method in which they become leaders is through uh, gaining some type of acclaim from mainstream media forces. Al Sharpton is a created creation of American media. He's not a creation of an organic connection to masses of the black community who said Al Sharpton is our leader. He's, I mean, even Dr. King, who, 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 has an organ, a mass organization yet, you know, the FTLC that developed a movement-based politics that, you know, basically chose him. At least he had some type of organizational capacity to be affiliated with. Al Sharpton doesn't come of any out of the traditional organization. I mean, uh, I don't remember him coming out of the FTLC, the NAACP, or any of these other traditional civil rights establishment movements. And yet, at a certain point, he goes from being this kind of seedy local figure who was, you know, street corner activist in the 80s in New York to all of a sudden in the 90s, this, after all of these, you know, you know, periods of time working as an FBI informant and then Squalor Broly coming out seeming to be a, 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 you know, a sham, he now totally rehabilitates himself and loses weight, sits back his head, and this guy's running for president. How is he getting vetted to, be, to run for president in the Democratic Party? Knowing that he was a former FBI informant on the mob, you know, I mean, how is this happening? It goes back to this whole like manufacturing, manufacturing consent and dissent. And in terms of answering your question about his role for the Obama administration, if you realize that the man who who has the microphone in terms of being the most vocal opposition to status quo forces in the black community 
is Al Sharpton, whether that's a good or bad, or we can question the methodology that brought him to that position, it is logical on any administration, especially of an administration who's the first black president, to find a way to co-opt that voice and get him in your good graces and put him in a position where he is your go-to person and he has loyalty towards you. Yes, well, I don't, let's, not, let's, not, let's not forget that in 2009, when Obama's rising to, his, to, to, to the presidency, Al Sharpton received a $500,000 gift to push charter schools. At the same time, he's going through an IRS investigation. I mean, this is a fact. It's reported by the Daily News. So, I mean, I don't think that all of this, this confluence of events is not accidental. And to, to answer your question is, what does it mean for uh, the black community? It basically means that I, you can make the argument that black leadership is up for sale. I would argue that it's not up for sale because it's not really black leadership. These are not people who are organically connected to a democratic process that are elected in our community. They are manufactured by media vehicles and used cynically to manipulate our, you know, our particular position vis-a-vis particular issues and events that happen in the black community and can be pulled up, pulled down, can be destroyed at the whim of the same forces that have propped them up. And this, this creates a, a cycle of, you know, embarrassing moments for African Americans that what does it look like now that your go-to guy is basically a mob informant, you know, uh, you know the black Donnie Brasco, if you will. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 what does that mean? Like your Al Sharpton, 
who are basically going up and, you know, you can make the argument, are in the administration in pocket. So it, it, it ends up becoming a farce on the black And that was a discussion between Dr. Pascal and our Common Ground voice, Yvette Cornell, and I think they made some excellent points. 404, you're on the air on Our Common Ground Open Mic Saturday night. Hello, Janice. This is Stephen. How are you doing? Sexy man. I'm okay. Sexy man. I see you're in the chat room. You're quoting Jokwe, Lumumba. Oh, yes, you are on, on this, it tonight. This, this whole thing with Sharpton just smells really fishy to me. I mean, we're talking 30-some years ago. He was an informant on the mob, and how does that necessarily prove he was an informant on any black leadership, especially when, you know, someone like the the head of, of this organization said they don't know for sure. I mean, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen, heard, or read one shred of evidence of any of this, just a lot of, Oh well, he was an informant for them. So, but and he has a questionable past. I mean, he didn't come up through the ranks of the SCLC. Well, neither did Malcolm X. I mean, you know, are you gonna are you gonna put down Malcolm X because he had a questionable past? I mean, this just well, sounds this, so crazy to me. There's so much you know, back back noise, back story to all of Yeah, but it's way this. back. It's way back. What yeah. is the relevance to today? I mean, that's, that's well, what I, I want to know. I do think, I think that Pascal makes a very good point, and it's a lesson for us that we've got, and Jahi, uh, Dr. Jahi Iza made the same point earlier in the program. We've got to stop allowing people to broker our political empowerment. The first, the, the first time that... Uh, uh, President Barack Obama uh, named Al Sharpton Newt Gingrich on a task force on education because we have people who are experts who have been trained to evaluate and analyze the issue of education I mean, Jawanda Kunjufu comes to right, mind immediately. Right, but Janice, Janice, this is we we we're in a whole di- we're in a time where it's all about you know tweeting and celebrity and you know he knew that if he has Ginrich and and uh, Sharpton out there, people are going to take notice. If he had Doctor So and So and Doctor Professor So and So out there doing it, nobody would nobody would pay attention. You know, so well, so there's think, this fine okay, balancing okay. act. But but you see you, know, you see th- this is the this is the reason why we can't get to solutions for the black community because we're always compromising for some reason. Well, yes, Jen, but you're I, assuming I understand an op- op- the political strategy of doing that. And by the way, it was right after Reverend uh, Al Sharpton came off of uh, his Gina Six thing. But Gina six. Yeah, the Gina six, uh, where the 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 noose, the lynching noose, was found in the tree at the school. 
mm-hmm. in Gina, Mississippi. And everybody got on buses and went to that. And that is how Al Sharpton got on the radar screen for Barack Obama. <coughs> Barack right, Obama but I'm, but was, I'm, not, but I'm just Al Sharpton because... was not involved in um, President Barack Obama's first campaign. He was right. not a voice in that campaign. But but I'm saying so, the fact that he single that he gave him this task doesn't mean he has he necessarily has credibility or is any kind of leader. I mean every it's like I'm hearing all these intelligent professors and stuff talking as if the people are buying all this. Like oh well, Al Sharpton's our new Martin Luther King. I mean that's that's a leap. That's a great leap. I don't I don't know any people that look at Al Sharpton as their leader. You know, I mean, he's done a few good things. He's brought attention to some to some issues that that have happened. But beyond that, I don't think people are ready to follow Reverend Al wherever he goes. You know, I mean, it, I think it's it's making a big deal over over yeah. too little. I mean, I'd rather see all this effort and and energy taken, you know, back to my same old thing about the fucking war on drugs. I mean, you know that. I can't believe with Barack Obama and, and Eric Holder in office, they haven't done a damn thing to put an end to the racist enforcement of those laws. And that's what's putting millions of young black males in prison, and that's what's perpetuating the whole system of Well, you know, you're answering your prison. own argument, and that is that there are black people in this country, a lot of black people in this country, who are saying the same thing that rather than being a drum major for President Barack Obama and his administration, that he should be staying on the issues that are critical and critically analyzing what this administration has and has not done. Except, Janice, except, Janice, he is a – he's on MSNBC. You saw what happened with um, – uh, the guy ranks somebody, whatever. Any anybody that gets a little too um, relevant in what they're talking about, they're going to get booted. You know, Sharpton's well, walking that's a what fine this line. Is all about that's what this is all about. They are right, dismantling the Reverend Al Sharpton, and there well, are yeah, people. But, but who's dismantling him? I mean, it's, I think it's all these these professors that are pointing the finger at him and, and saying, well, he's not, he's got a checkered past and he's, he doesn't have the, he didn't come up through the established. I mean, that sounds to me so bushy, you know, it's like, oh, well, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he, he's not, he doesn't pass the test. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, I think that they're distracting everybody. You know, in, I don't in many, think. In many circles, he hasn't passed the test. And here is this opportunity, but we do have to keep in mind that this is a political strategy of the right wing to bring to bring more taint and mud mud slinging to this administration. And uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, they, wait, wait, they wait, think wait, they this, discovered this, uh, something. I'm, oh, so you're saying the right has brought this out? Oh, absolutely. Well, I see people on the left going, you know, second, you know, carrying along. It's like they're taking the baton. 
from the right and carrying it along things. It's because many people in the black community have been engaged in this question and this issue for a very long time. I know, but I think that they're letting that get in the way of today's reality. Well, today's reality is that, as we pointed out over and over in this discussion tonight, is that we we have seen the deterioration of black political empowerment, black economic empowerment, black education, and so it doesn't even matter at this point until well, right, we get and that's back. Why, and that's why, that's why there should be so little attention paid to this, and there should be lots more people rising up and speaking out. I mean, to me, it well, seems a little self-serving for them to be pointing the finger, well, he should be saying this and he should be saying that. Well, um, let's hear it from, from everybody else. I no, mean, you know, I yeah. just think it's a little bit hypocritical to, to point their fingers and say, well, he should be saying this at the convention and he needs to say well, this Well, you know, the thing, is that, uh, the, the thing is that while we are mangled, all of this is going on. Uh, I was right. I was almost reluctant not to not to touch it tonight, but um, I mean we I'm a lot night. more troubled I'm a lot more troubled by the clip you played of the president telling people well if you can't vote on Sunday just vote on Tuesday it's yeah, like what I, I know. <laughs> yes. what <laughs> yes just just accept this voter suppression I mean, doc, and get on Dr. with King it is, Dr King is rolling in his grave. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, it's good to have you tonight. All right, good Um, to be here. (laughs) I'm I'm really glad to have you, and I see that Chicago Stepper, real stranger. Um, Stephen, tell us um, how's it going on the saxophone in ATL. Well, it's going. um, You know, it's 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 a whole it's a different scene now. You know, not as many clubs happening, but you know, I'm doing a lot of private work, and I'm about ready to get down and really start doing some recording. So that day is coming. Great. Well, it's so good to have you. Uh, that was uh, Stephen C. He's one of our regulars for a very long time. We, we're about to run out of time, but I want to go back to Dr. Isa, and I'm opening up his mic to get his take on uh, the... Uh, Carnell, Pascal, uh, we're not going to have time to get to uh, Glenn Ford tonight, but we'll do it um, sometime in the next, and I've got to make a, an announcement. Uh, Dr. Isa, what do you think? What are, um, you are you referring to the Cornell, uh, Wes, and Eric Michael Dyson? Um, no, I'm referring to the um, Al Sharpton. Saga. Oh, oh yes, yes. Well, back to that, yeah. Well, um, I think it's going to hurt the black community um, um, even more than what we can even imagine. Not only the the way that they're saying that how he was used by this Ken administration, but like I said earlier, uh, this is an election. It's all about who's going to control the budget for the Senate in the House. And um, this is perfect timing to dismantle all of that. 
That's right. And, you know, it's not just going to be Reverend Al Sharpton. You're going to see some others fall. You're going to see MSNBC after the midterms take on a whole new complexion, and it won't be brown and red. Dr. Isa, thank you so very much for staying with us tonight. And thank all of you for staying with us tonight. I do want to um, let you know that next week we'll be organizing to challenge the school to prison what you can do in your communities, what you must do. Because at some point, all of this has to go out of the window. Barack Obama will be gone. We will be still trying to grow some water wings as we drown. So join us next Saturday night for Dr. Byron Price, who's going to help us out in, in doing some of this. Thank you all so very much for being with us. Thanks for all your calls, Stephen C., Dr. Jahi Isa, Ricardo Jones, all our Common Ground voices. Um, Make sure you help us to build. Here's my announcement. Um, The season for our Common Ground will close on the first weekend of May. I will be here the first Saturday of May, and then I will be gone for about two months. Uh, I'm going to be doing some traveling. I'm going to still try to get back to my writing. Um, We're going to be traveling the continent, the motherland, getting some rest and relaxation, working with Carmen Del Rosario, who was with us a couple of weeks ago in uh, Mali and Liberia. We're going to spend some time in South Africa. We're going to go to Tanzania. Uh, I'm going to be returning to Kigali in Rwanda. Uh, We're going to go not to Madagascar, maybe. I don't know. So thank you for being with us. Uh, We'll talk more about that and, and why. We have got to get this black media thing together. Black media, even independent media, is failing us. We've got to uplift the voice of black truth in America. Thank you so much, and see you next Saturday, 10 p.m. Will the revolution be violent? Uh, It depends. Depends upon the uh, those who uh, have unjustly hold power, and uh, we've never seen them uh, pass power, you know, without struggle. Even though they've unjustly uh, acquired it. Is there a place in the world where socialism, communism, um, equality exists and successfully? Let me answer your question in a philosophical manner, and then come to it practically. Uh, the error that we make in judging systems is that we judge the adherence and not the principles. Not too long ago, a man came to tell me uh, that socialism was dead, you know, so I told him, oh, really? He said, yes. He said, you're still a socialist? I said, yes. He said, why? I said, I'm intelligent. He said, but it's dead. It's buried. Gorbachev, didn't you hear about it? I said, oh, that. I said, no. That's not uh, death. That's just betrayal, you know. And uh, he said, what do you mean? I said, that socialism cannot die. He said, no, I saw it. These people in Russia, they gave it up. You know, I said, no, uh, you cannot judge socialism by socialists. He said, what did you say? I said, you cannot judge socialism by socialists. He said, how much you judge? I said, by its principles. 
It's only by its principles. He couldn't understand anything, so I asked him, do you judge Christianity by Christians? Uh, he took a breath here. I said, no. <laughs> we judge Christianity by principles, the thought, deeds, words, and actions of Jesus Christ, peace be upon his name. That's how we judge Christianity, not even by Judas, not even by the Pope. It's judged by its principles. So uh, socialism, even if it isn't working now, will not deter socialists from striving to arrive at it. I have been uh, around American churches a lot in my life, and uh, to be quite honest, it's difficult for me to find genuine Christians in these churches. But in no way does this diminish my enthusiasm for Christianity. And certainly as a, a good Christian, it is my responsibility to uphold the principles of Christianity amidst all of those who betray these principles. So even if there's no uh, Christian church in the world, I do not believe that it cannot be. I know it will be. So I know socialism will come about. To more precisely answer your question, there are countries that have made a lot of headway. Of course, we can look at Cuba, right uh, south of us here. And I uh, just leave that one as an example. Uh, Cuba still continues with all of its problems to occupy itself with the poor. America is the richest country in the world. Cuba is the poorest country in the world. But Cuba, everyone has free medicine, free medical attention, even though it's the poorest country in the world. So it's not a question of money, it's a question of determination and will to hammer out the injustices in societies. And that's why socialism will be inevitable, because humanity demands progress instinctively. for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. We appreciate your support and your listenership. Do join us in our many portals on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, our website at OurCommonGround.com, and follow us on Twitter at Janice O.C. And as always, we'll see you next Saturday, 10 p.m., organizing right here on a live broadcast to challenge the school-to-prison pipeline in your community with Dr. Byron E. Price. It's Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. I know enough. And so what I'm asking you is, what is your endgame? game?